Welcome, everyone. It's Play the Kids. We are sponsored by Roughneck Scarves, and we're part of the Beautiful Game Network. I am Kevin McCamish, and you can find me on Stumptown Footy, the USL show, and now also BGN Written. More about that later. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Our website is playthekids.com. Got a great episode today. Uh, today, Josh is here. He's now with Protagonist Soccer. Did I get that right? That's right. Fantastic. So you're officially a uh, sort of media person like I am sort of a media person. <laughs> yeah. The official sort of media person that covers the NPSL uh, Northwest. And then once they start covering the uh, the PDL Northwest, I'll cover that as well. Fantastic. Now that's Protagonist Soccer. And uh, we'll be sure to uh, shout out any links and stuff, um, ways to follow them at the end of the show. Also with us, longtime listener, first-time caller, John McGuire. How's hey. it going, John? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you fellas doing tonight? Good. I appreciate you joining us, giving us some different perspective on what we'll talk about. I really appreciate it. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, so right off the bat, let's dive into some news. T2, still in seventh. Well, I don't know if they were still. But they're in seventh place. Um, so I'd say still in the playoffs. And still having the best season despite the way the summer has currently worked out. Um, 1.435 points per game, which is the best uh, they've had ever so far up to this point. Best full season was 2016, which ended with a 1.33 points per game. And that was the season where T2 missed that final playoff spot um, on goal differential. Ooh. That was now, the season that they won like five in a row to end the year. Yep. Right? Yeah. The end of the season on a five game win streak was we're looking to seal eighth place. And Orange County had to score like five or six goals in their final match to beat them by goal, like by goal differential. And, and yeah. And in stoppage, second half stoppage time, they put two or three away to make the goal total they needed. And it was like <sighs> rough. Yeah. So that was previously the best season T2 had. And now, so far, still this season is. Yeah, but we'll it's nice to, um, I think, don't you think it's nice to sort of be fighting for your playoff position from above the line instead of fighting for your playoff position from below the line for a change? So, I mean, if anything, it's, it's, a, um, it's a slight increase in their fortunes, and, and I think it's, uh, it, it's been a little bit more of an enjoyable ride. It has. I mean, it's still fraught with challenges and disappointment. Um, but I think this season's been more good than bad. Um, with T2 being in seventh place, the eighth place team in the final playoff spot is Swope Park Rangers. Um, tied in points, we have them on the Games 1 tiebreaker um, behind both us and Swope Park is Colorado Springs and Fresno. Um, they're in ninth and tenth place, respectively. 31 points on 25 games played for Colorado. 30 points, 24 games played for Fresno. T2 and Swope Park have only played 23 games, so uh, we all, we have some games in hand on those teams below us. Not that that might mean anything, depending on how the rest of August goes, but T2 have, uh, they're going to travel this weekend, and they've got five straight home games. Some of those matches are winnable. There is a home match. Well, first of all, there's the away match versus Swope Park. That's pretty huge. Um, if they can get three points there, that'll that'll really help their playoff chances. But um, but that's in the future. So 
Biggest issue for T2, defense, kind of obvious. Um, T2 had led the entire USL in shutouts with eight on June 9th, and their last shutout was a 1-0 away win over Rio Grande Valley. Uh, Unfortunately, since then, zero shutouts, and they've given up a staggering 23 goals in only nine games. What do you think that's down to? I I, I know McIntosh kind of got lit up in this last game. Has that been a trend for him recently? Is he having some regression, or is it just the bulk of the defense that's letting him down? It's actually all of the above. Um, I've been trying to, the past week and a half, kind of dig through – um, rewatching games, seeing how the, the goals are created, and it's it's kind of like everything that's bad is going bad at the same time. Um, twenty three goals in nine games. That's two and a half goals against per game over two and a half goals by average, and that's multiple games where T two uh, have had four against them. So silly mistakes, individual errors. Um, the the guys are ball watching, not tracking runners it's kind of all manner of things um mcintosh is a really solid keeper uh i don't know if maybe he's losing some confidence or if he's losing some confidence in the in this the back line um strangely enough and, and and it's really funny i can't find miller roy miller at fault for a lot of this stuff but when he's he's been playing with T2, getting healthy, recovering from his Achilles uh, rupture he had near the end of this end of the season last season, um, which is for you know like we think we said this Josh last episode, it's it's huge for him of his age to recover that fast and be able to be playing full ninety minutes out there. Um, but it's it's I don't know if he's disrupting the chemistry right. um, of what. Because again, up to that point in June, T2 had one of the best defenses, second best defense in the league. I don't want to take credit for Pittsburgh, but. And at what point did Miller start to um, be involved in the in the matches? Was it right around that same time? Mid June, he was first starting to see his appearance. So one of the, some time, like forty five minutes and yeah. stuff. So one of the things we talked about the last couple of years was that chemistry that you just mentioned and uh, how important it is maybe for these players to be consistent and sort of build that trust with each other. Um, I mean, we all respect and, and, and view Miller as an absolute professional and, and are in, in awe of his recovery. But I think maybe you're onto something that, you know, maybe he's just kind of thrown a little kink in the works back there and um, you know, What's more important, getting Miller recovered or getting getting T two in the playoffs? I'm not, you know, from from the organization's perspective. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, just speaking on the most recent game, and, and I know we'll get to it, but you know that that first goal that we gave up, um, that was that was Miller and Bill Tuloma, who who couldn't manage to mark the number nine. Uh, you know, and these are two, you know, relatively seasoned pros going up against a pretty young guy. Th- those sort of kind of silly mistakes are are, are tough to watch, uh, especially at home, obviously. And you know, with Miller, he's an older he's an older player. He's coming back from obviously a very large injury, so there's a little bit of leeway there. But you'd think between the two of them, they could establish something a little more solid, and it'd, it'd be good to see those things tighten up. 
pretty quickly here. Yeah. Exactly. And and the other thing too, like you mentioned, Toyloma getting minutes, you know, it's it's okay to to get some of these uh first team guys minutes, but but you do have to kind of wonder like at what cost because it's not Miller's not a bad defender. He he's just not. He is a veteran, he's experienced, um, a very professional player. He's he's a good defender. The what what just to clarify, I'm trying to get at is that it's it's not him being bad. It's just him being there, or right. you know Toiloma being there. They're not bad. It's it's that they just don't have any chemistry with each other. They don't have time or experience yeah. playing with each other, and that doesn't help when. You're going up against some of these other teams, independent sides like Phoenix Rising, Orange County, um, who are there to compete. And they, it's like they're, some of these guys, their jobs are on the line. They're not competing for a first-team contract. They're, they're competing to, to keep playing and to win something in USL. Not, not that T2 is not being competitive, but it's just there's a different mentality with, these, with some of these other teams than there, than there is with T2. Everything is significantly better this season with T2. The coach is, is doing all the right things, saying all the right things. The mentality, I think, is better overall, but it's it's just different between a two-side and an independent side. Well, yeah. I mean, I think you got to think about the rhythm of the week, right? I mean, if... Uh, and I'm not sure how practice goes, but I would imagine Tuloma, at least, and, and very possibly Miller are, are spending most of their days during the week practicing with the first team. Right, and and even if they have chemistry between the two of them, they don't necessarily have chemistry with the rest of, you know, the <clears throat> the D mids and the outside backs uh, with T two. Obviously, Farfan played this most recent game, so you know maybe they are practicing together. But I, I would imagine McIntosh isn't there. There's got to be a little bit of a disconnect in in that regard. So even though there's upside to getting them game time, uh, you know, to keep them sharp, you know, from a team standpoint. Obviously, the big timbers come before the little trees, right? So, so yeah. you get it organizationally, but it, at the same time, it does make it tough on T2. Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing about that is I think training's built differently this year with a different head coach. Um, I know in the past, T2 and first team trainings were very separate. Um, but, like, I'll, 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 uh, do, I don't know, lose, completely losing the word, but I want to uh, remind everybody, go back two episodes. It's a short episode, but listen to my interview with Josh Phillips. And one of the questions was like, you know, how is the training kind of organized with both the first team, second team? Do you guys train with each other at the same time? Do you do things separately? And I got the sense that there's a lot more working together with all the players within the organization um, this season than there has been in years past. And I think so that probably helps things a little bit, but s- even then it's still, you got to have time and repetition with the players, especially in a game environment. And it takes games to, to build that. Um, and a lot of these guys just, just don't have that outright time with each other yet. So, yeah, you know, it, it's the, the defense is just the one blemish. I think just the the one kind of bad thing we've had this summer to really uh, an otherwise pretty successful season. Um, and to you know to flip that, the biggest positive for TU two is obviously the attack. Um, they're still fifth in the league with goals scored. Um, 
Of course, we dropped me to the bottom and goals against, but <laughs> we already discussed that. Uh, after you know having two pretty miserable attacking seasons because Nico Brett, you know, now with, with the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, uh, led T2 with seven goals in 2016, just seven. Victor Arboleda led the team with four. Only four goals was our top goal scorer in 2017. Oof. So 11 goals total, and Foster Langsdorf already has 10 this season. First T2 player since Carlton Belmar had 13 in 2015. First player to get double-digit goals. Um, well, yeah. You, I mean, you have to remember that Carlton Belmar was freaking awesome. And he would score a goal on almost any night for T2. He's, he's so still awesome. He's finding success with Kansas City. I was going to say, does this mean they're going to trade Langsdorf away for a pizza and a and some gam to sporting? If, if you go back and look at this previous week in USL, it's like a who's who of used to play of who used to play for the Timbers on the score sheet. Nico Brett is uh, with a, has eleven goals, which is second overall in the entire league for for the Golden Boot. Um, Foster Langsdorf tied in third with ten, um, tied with other players, I should say, in third place at ten. Uh, Nico, I think, is two, has two other gentlemen he's tied with at eleven. Um, then there's two guys, uh, Atuala Guerrera with Charleston, and uh, of course someone who had just scored against us recently, Thomas Enavoldson with Orange County. Those both lead the league, um, 12 goals each. And, and Foster could have been up there with 12 goals. Um, he missed two penalty kick attempts against Phoenix Rising, which we'll get to. Oh. Um, those were good you- saves, though, and I know we'll get to it, but those were quality saves. Yes, and yeah, and yeah. And to be clear, yeah, to be clear, they were saved. Um, but first, you know, just I like to I like to think that if he had put those away, he'd be tied for the Golden Boot lead. So, is it possible Foster can win the Golden Boot? Yes. Will it happen? I, I don't know. Remain uh, seen. Remain to be seen. But we have someone who could potentially win the Golden Boot, and that is something. That is nice. Right? <laughs> I know. I know a a big thing that I think almost everybody on Twitter talks about is, you know, Foster. Langsdorf versus Jeremy Abobasi. Um, who needs to be playing with the first team? Are either or both of them better than Dyrena Spria? Why is uh, Lucas Milano coming back? What's going on? Up is Ooh. down. Green is blue. You know, yeah, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. We traded Vitas to DC for some reason. Um, so many questions. So many questions. But the one that we'll focus on dealing primarily with T2, who is better, Foster versus Jeremy? Um, I'm going to say foster and i have some stats to back that up but what are your guys thoughts foster or jeremy i mean based on statistics i'm team i'm team foster right now but it, that doesn't discount jeremy as a human being he's a marvelous person but stats are stats <laughs> john um you know i think it, it's an interesting comparison i think they're very different players right um I think Abobasi has the size and physicality to be a little bit more of an impact player broadly uh, for the team as opposed to just purely as a goal scorer. And I think Langsdorf has that kind of poacher's sense, uh, you know, that ability to put balls on goal that, you know, the, the kind of the, the Wondolowski sort of role. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's a lot of people are comparing Foster to um, a Chris Wondolowski type, right? which, you know, you got to ask yourself, does that play into what Gio wants to achieve with the first team? Does 
maybe Jeremy's style of play fit more in with what he wants to do. Problem is nobody really knows because Aspria is the second on the striker chart. And the question is kind of a moot point because unless Armenteros or Aspria go down for any significant amount of time, I don't think we're going to find out via a lineup selection uh, how they feel versus, you know, the the coaching staff feels versus Foster or Jeremy who might be in the quote unquote third place. Yeah, um, no, that's true. And I think the important thing to look at is, um, is, is kind of their, not just their finishing rates, but I, I think you had some stats in the, in the show notes and I might be jumping the gun a little, but um, f- from a like worldwide football perspective, a typical finishing rate is that you put about a third of your total shots on goal and about a third of the total shots on goal end up as goals. So if you're doing better yep. than that, you're, you're doing well. And if you're not doing better than that, you're not doing well. Obviously, expected goals, we can talk about that and how luck comes into play. But I think there's a pretty stark difference from a finishing standpoint between Foster Langsdorf and Jeremy Abobasi. And, and Foster's far out-competing Jeremy in, in the regard of how many shots they're putting on target and then how many of those shots on target are actually hitting the back of the net. Yeah, exactly. And and I think you're absolutely right um, on the average shots, you know, like converting shots into shots on target and shots on target onto uh, goals in the back of the net. Um, I think that sounds pretty familiar. Um, with stuff like that, I mean, expected goals, there, there's a, a, a huge swath of, of new – not, not new, but the soccer statistics that are doing really well to kind of, you know, determine the quality of a shot based on where it's taken, you know, and a bunch of other factors. Uh, we're not going to get into that. We're going to go just, just super basic stats that are pretty meaningless, I think, overall, but at least still show a little slice of the picture. Um, Foster Langsdorf, 34 total shots, 23 of them on target. Uh, this season so far, ten goals. So I mean, I just want to point out that the shots on target to the shots ratio is insane. Like that's that's double. Like n- nobody is expected to put two thirds of their total shots on target. And I don't know that comes down to the team shape and positioning and just the quality of shots that the team is setting up Langsdorf for, as opposed to Abobasi. But but to put two thirds of your total shots on goal is an, an absolutely absurd number and i think that it it speaks to langsdorf's kind of ability to finish uh independent of everything else like it's such an outlier statistic as well as being able to clean up stuff in the box nine of his 10 goals are from inside the box um all you know to to kind of give an idea of where his goals are coming from so so goals to shots total he's got a 29.4 percent conversion rate um, if we go goals to shots on target, it jumps to a, a kind of an impressive 43.4% conversion rate, um, which is a 131.9 minutes per goal, um, which is not too shabby for a rookie at this level, I think. Yeah, I think um, more, important, more important than the, the goals per minute or the minutes per goal is, is those conversion rates. Like That indicates to me that, that Foster is – either better than the keepers he's facing or, or he's putting himself in better positions than, than the defenders he's around. That was, that was my, he's just getting in the right places. He's uh, I mean, if he's finishing from inside the box and he's got a high rate, he's just, he's just where he needs to be. 
And and to compare to Jeremy, who, like we said, is a different type of player. He's got Jeremy's got three goals this season. Two of them are from outside the box. One is from inside. Um, so while he has a very similar, well, he his conversion rate from shots on target to goals is thirty seven point five percent. So it's less, but it's close. Um, where he really differs is his shots taken to goals um, at a, a, a unfortunate 13.6 conversion rate. So 22 shots, eight of them on target, only three goals. Um, and it's a uh, not flattering 351 minutes per goal. Um, but that does not discount, you know, what Jeremy still brings as a player. Um, as you had said, John, his physicality um, it's, he's, he's in his second season, I believe. So, you know, he's the one player between the two that actually has MLS minutes, you know, some MLS experience, albeit 317 minutes. He's shown very well with those it's, minutes. It's worth pointing out that he leads the MLS in goals per 90, by the way. Since last season? No, in, in, well, maybe last season included, but in 2018, certainly. He, he got like an 11-minute uh, an stint uh, earlier this year or something like that. Uh, and scored in, in, in Open Cup, yeah. Oh, <laughs> but see, if it's Open Cup, it doesn't count. It's not part of the league. So that won't actually count to MLS, to Hold be on. fair. Hold on. Let me double-check with American Soccer Analysis. Please, <laughs> please continue. We will. So so that's just a quick thing. Like I said, um, Attack is doing pretty well. Um, Foster, I'm side with him. I, I really think he's going to show well for, t- uh, for the Timbers next season. I, I wouldn't expect Foster or Jeremy to see any time with the first team this year, you know, barring any significant injuries uh, to probably two or three different people. Uh, especially with Lucas Milano on his way back in. And we'll probably see Lucas before the end of the month's out, I would assume, given what, I, given what I'm hearing. You suppose that tra- in that transition time back into the organization, we'll see him playing with T2? Hmm. It's entirely possible. Uh, T- the, the nice thing is they're not shy about using T2 to get people back uh, game fit. So, you know, we've seen Roy Miller, we've seen David Guzman, uh, Vitas has certainly had lots of time. Jack Barmby's kind of having a little USL level renaissance himself. Um, so certainly it is a possibility we would see Lucas Milano getting some time with T2. Hopefully he does well and gets a couple goals before they start using him for the first team. But we'll see. Yeah. Um, another pro- Two other players I want to talk about, Renzo Zambrano. Um, midfield's kind of improved a bit over the last few games. Uh, when T2 were losing five of their six before these most recent three uh, midfield was not doing too well earlier in the season when when obviously when T2 was doing very well, the defense was doing very well. I think the midfield was also uh, pretty solid. Um, I was all very impressed with Renzo and, and how he was pairing at the time with Eric Williamson. Um, Renzo being, you know, the defensive player uh, where Eric Williamson going more box to box. Now, it's kind of uh, Renzo and Andre Lewis repairing together. Um, it's kind of a double pivot more than it was in the first third of the season. Um, and T2 were beginning to find uh, success in the midfield again. But the, the key point here, obviously, is that you know it's not Williamson or Lewis. The, the key player in all of this is Renzo Zambrano. Um, when he does well, uh, it seems to be that T2 do well. And... 
I, bel- I, I don't have the stats up in front of me, but I know that Renzo Zambrano is like fifth, sixth, or eighth in the league overall for total uh, completed passes. Um, so a lot of what T2 does goes through Renzo um, from that, from, you know, playing out of the back, which is. He, he would be seventh overall in passes seventh. completed. And I said five, six, and eight, didn't I? <laughs> I he's like, I was like fifth, sixth, or eighth. Couldn't possibly be seventh. No, no, definitely not that <laughs> Except one. The one number I missed. Um, but yeah, so just you know, just a quick shout out to Renzo. He's a good, good midfield player. Um, and you know, it's not just the Foster and Marvin Loria show. Um, there are some other good players out there doing doing good things. Uh, speaking of the Foster and Marvin show, Marvin Loria, winger of the future. Um, his goal versus Orange County, just in case people didn't see it, was number five on Sports Center's top ten. Um, the day he scored against Orange County. Oh, which was, so pretty. So uh, go and check that out because it's worth it. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on Marvin Loria? Winger of the future or a complete bust? <laughs> <laughs> Is there an in-between option? No. <laughs> no, no in-between. No, he's he's uh, fabulous to watch. I mean, it's the way he skips past players. Um, and it's clearly more than just pace, but his pace definitely helps. You can see that he has the touch and the kind of the, um, the mindfulness of where defenders are in his path to sort of get around them left or right and, and, and kind of, um, you know, go on his mazy run and then, you know, sort of score a goal going against his, the direction of his run was just, you know, amazing. And, um, that's not, that's not the first time he's made really great runs like that. And, and he's, he's more than just a dribbler too. He's, he's been pretty, pretty fun to watch. And I, I think the important point about that one run in particular, the Sports Center top five or whatever run, was that he had a lovely chip over the keeper. Like, mm-hmm. so composed on the finish. Uh, he beat, I think, three or four players on, on, the, on the way to doing that. And there were a few lucky touches in there. But the fact that once he got into the 18 and he was one on one with the keeper, he was so calm, composed, smooth. Like, seeing that was. I think a stark contrast to a player like Arboleda, which has gotten a lot of hype in the past where he's obviously super speedy, has the ability to beat players, but sometimes the, the finishing was lacking a little. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, to see Loria have the composure to finish that clinically, uh, I thought was very encouraging. He, he's definitely the next player behind Foster um, who I think is going to be ready to make that jump to the first team much sooner rather than later. Um, Foster, obviously a homegrown player on the first team contract already, which is why I pay him for first. Cause you know, even though I'm like, it's highly unlikely you will see Foster or Jeremy get MLS minutes. It, they are on first team contracts and some, something could happen. They could do well in training injuries could happen. They could see time there, uh, with Marvin Loria being on a T2 contract though, it, that's f- far more unlikely for him. Um, but only this season, I, I really think he's going to probably earn a first team contract in the off season. Um, particularly if he keeps up what he's been doing pretty much all season since we've seen him, um, you know, 25 shots, 12 on target, four goals, you know, which is great for a winger. Um, that's what he's playing as he's been playing as a pretty true winger. Uh, it, it really feels like I think overall the attack kind of has, has settled. Cameron's kind of settled on having Barnby opposite Loria on the wings um, with Eric Williamson playing as an attacking mid, feeding Langsdorf centrally. Um, and, and those four players, you know, they've been generating some goals. Uh, four against LA2, two against Orange County. Um, they, they, they obviously could have done better against Phoenix, but 
Phoenix is, uh, I think, the, still the second best team in the West. So, you know, I, I don't want to be too harsh on them for not getting any goals or, or a win against Phoenix there. Yeah. Before we jump ahead to the uh, the glorious win over LA two, um, I do want to point out two things. One, you know, Laurie's twelve shots out of twenty five on target is that's a fantastic rate. If if we can have people. And at any level in the Timbers, you know, T1, T2, the under-23s, who are putting half of their shots on target against, and I know I'm harping on this, like a, a kind of a global average of being a third of their shots being on target. That That's fantastic. I mean, that's just quality finishing as a generalization. Uh, and the second point is that uh, I don't know why Jack Barnby plays at all anymore. Uh, what 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 is going on? <laughs> Can can we honestly talk about this for just like two minutes? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, because like I mean, I had mentioned earlier he's having himself a little bit of a renaissance, but mm-hmm. by no means does that mean he should be going back to the first team. Right. Yeah. Um, no. He's he's what twenty six now, twenty five, something I, like that. He's on the first team. I don't think he's that old. 26. Okay. Maybe maybe he's twenty four, but he twenty four, twenty five. He's certainly not. He, he's not showing himself as a. a a diamond in the rough or anything like that. His time with team T2 seems to be just to fill in time with T2, which is fine. You know, he he's, he's adequate at the T2 level. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I often wonder, could that time be better spent on, on building somebody younger, somebody with more upside? Um, you know, does, does he even really want to be there? I mean, I, I, I watch the guy sometimes and I wonder if he really has the bite, you know, does he want to be playing at the USL level? Well, I'm a hundred percent with you on that one. And, and it's not even like his mentality. I, I have no idea what he's, what he's thinking when he's out there, but what's been a more obvious to me this season is that he, the USL is his level. He's not an MLS caliber player. He could be a right. average to above average player at the USL level. That so far is what I see as his ceiling, and that's a waste of a first-team contract. That's actually a really interesting point, and it brings back to a comment we were make, you had made earlier, which I think is important to keep in mind. But you know, you were talking about how the the goal-scoring charts this weekend were lit up by X Timbers two players, and that you know, I think we've been very critical of the team to kind of cut players who we see as promising, who, who are showing a little bit at the USL level, um, but, you know, who are a couple years on now and are good USL players, but maybe not great USL players. And it really takes great USL players to become good USL players, especially once you get up to the age of like 24, 25. You know, there might be an exception or two in there, but for the most part, as much as I love seeing Nico Brett, I don't think he's ever going to make an, make an impact in MLS, right? He, he might be on 11 yeah. goals this year, but we were probably right to cut him at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, Carlton Belmar, loved the guy. Had so much fun watching him play. But, you know, it, do we actually think he's going to have an MLS career? Probably not, you know, and, and it's well, tough. And he's, he's had opportunities to break into – uh, Kansas City's first team. I mean, he's on a first team contract, but you know when they would have been desperate for for some striking, and they are desperate. For and some they are striking. even now still desperate for for a striker and even a backup striker. He's not been able to break in in that. So, you know, 
as much as he was, I mean, he's fantastic at USL. He's the type of player at this level where, you know, if you let him play a full season at USL at full clip, he could probably outscore some entire USL teams. Right. Um, but right now, it does not appear to be translating to the MLS level. Yeah. And, and some of and these it, players, we don't know if that's going to work. And actually, I think it's a really interesting thing from like, as a primarily, and this is me, just my own personal bias, as a primarily U.S. soccer consumer, right? I, I'm aware of and I watch high-level international soccer, but I don't watch the championship or anything like that, right? Um, uh, I, I'm adjusting to the idea that there, there's just players that are USL good. They might be USL great even, but they're not MLS players, and and coming to that realization, coming to grips with that, that you know, there's just players that are they're going to have a decent career, maybe six or eight, maybe even ten years of playing at the USL level and making, you know, not great wages but decent wages for playing the sport they love, and and seeing that as kind of the new normal, I think is is really interesting to come to grips with, and it's it's something that I I've been, you know, thinking about more recently. Uh, as hey, this is just what happens, you know. Some players are just that's their level. They're USL quality players. There's a couple points I wanted to make on that. Is uh, one of the things we've been talking about for the last couple of years is there is an when whereas not every player is destined to be a first team MLS player. In order for your USL side to find some modicum of success, you can't keep unloading your experienced players and keep digging around for diamonds in the rough. You've right. got to pick two or three projects and surround them with experienced players that can accept their USL role um, and know that that is their lot in U.S. soccer and that their time competing for an MLS spot is sort of done and dusted and that they're just there to be the experienced USL veteran. And I think when we look at someone like Nico Brett, he, you know, we don't know. We weren't in the locker room. He's so young. He doesn't strike me as willing to accept that he's not good enough for MLS. So off he goes to go fight somewhere else for his place. Or this, you know, the same could be said for for help in Belmar. He wasn't quite experienced enough to just settle in on the concept that he's just going to be, you know, um, uh, kind of an assistant to somebody else getting, you know, the next step up. But from, from the underside of that, you know, I've spent the last year and a half, two seasons, um, surrounded by, you know, second division, third division collegiate players who look at their role in division four soccer as they're grasping at any opportunity to play and so hopeful that they might catch the eye of a USL side. And you've got players that played in the Timbers under 23s last year who had a really successful year that got drafted into the USL and are just absolutely chuffed. This They know that's their level. And, and you know, you follow them in social media and they're not pining and whining about not getting to MLS. They're completely content with their USL role. So it's, you know, there, there is a stratification in soccer. And I think that, as you say, um, the more we pull back the curtains and we sort of look uh, at the bigger picture of, 
you know players within those strat you know the, the stratification of soccer you'll you'll see some people settle into their roles and some people appreciate where they end up and some people are fighters yeah indeed yeah i think and in, in, in referencing kevin's earlier comment you know the josh phillips interview is a great example of that right like this is a guy who's well into his usl career he's solid he's he's a veteran uh and and he accepts his role as somebody who's there to help the team uh game to game but more importantly he's there to help the team by being a role model and a leader and showing guys how to be pros you know that even if you don't make it to MLS, you can still be a pro day to day and rock practice and put in a hard shift and make a decent living. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's really good actually. And and I think that's something that's positive for for T two to have. So hopefully Barmby, you know, bringing it back to the original statement that kicked this all off. Hopefully Barmby is one of those guys, you know, who 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 realizes that this is his level and and he's there to do a job and he works hard and he plays well. Yeah, I I would have no questions whatsoever about everyone's mentality at all levels in the organization. I think this season, I think everybody's, you know, buying into what Gio and, and the whole staff want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so regardless of you know whether their time comes with T two or whether it comes with the first team or just practice or bench, whatever, I, I'm pretty sure everybody's happy with what they're doing. Um, and I, and and certainly, I think a, a big part of the reason you know why we're seeing some of this, uh, some of this success. Um, is it just that everyone's happy, everyone's competing with each other, pushing each other um, as as everybody wants to fight for minutes. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, T2 and the first team, they're doing well. T2 obviously yep. struggling a bit, but um, let me quickly run through LA2 um, and Orange County results. Uh, and then uh, because I completely missed the Phoenix Rising game due to the time change, um, I'll let John run with that one. So sounds um, good. Yeah, just to save some minutes, let me go through these real quick. Um, T two away to LA two get the win four three. Um, it's another goal fest between the sides. Uh, earlier this season at home, T two beat LA two seven to three in one of the highest scoring games in USL so far this season. Um, again, this time around, even down there, neither of the teams obviously is showering themselves in defensive glory. Um, thus kind of seems like they can just score, uh, almost at will against each other. Um, but, uh, T2 came out on top again. Um, Langsdorf likes LA two, five of his 10 goals have been against LA two, a hat trick at home and a brace in this match. Um, and it was goals from start to finish, uh, LA scoring in the first minute, uh, Ethan Zubak. Um, Dylan in the 11th minute, Lopez in the 78th, T2 answering with all of those. Jeremy scoring in the third minute, Williamson in the 23rd, and then Langsdorf with his brace in the 54th and 63rd minute. Um, so goals aplenty all the way across What there. a goal fest. So much fun to watch. The one where we beat him 7-3 is, is also pr- is lots of fun to watch because when you score three goals in stoppage time, that's, that's always fun to watch. <laughs> Um, next game, T2 still out on the road. Um, they drop points to Orange County. It's a 2-2 draw, missed opportunity. Um, T2 go up 2-0 at the break, um, but could not hold back a resurgent Orange County side. Um, four points out of six for a road trip is not shabby at all. 
Um, and, but uh, but T2 did have the opportunity to bring all six back. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out. Um, as we mentioned earlier, Marvin Loria's goal made the Sports Center top 10. Um, he generally looked pretty amazing for long stretches of that game. Langsdorf getting an assist on Barnby's goal, um, but was unable to uh, kind of pad his stat sheet there. Um, T2 goals from Loria in the 13th minute, Barnby in the 31st minute. Um, from the 32nd minute on, it was pretty much all Orange County. Uh, <laughs> T2 taking advantage of their rough start going up 2-0 and then just spending the rest of the game kind of holding back Orange County. Um, couldn't hold them back enough to get three points, though. Quinn scoring in the 62nd minute and then uh, Anne Voldsen, I think, tied for the Golden Boot lead, scores in the 84th minute, getting Orange County a point at home. Um, following that game up, the last one to talk about is T2 losing at home against Phoenix Rising 4-1. Um, as I Oof. mentioned, I missed this game due to the time change. It was scheduled for 2 p.m. I knew it got changed. I just thought it got moved later, not earlier. Uh, so as I was prepping to leave my house about 4 o'clock, I was like, wait, the game's started. <laughs> it was over when? Uh, so unfortunately, uh, that's completely my fault. Um, haven't had the opportunity to watch it yet, but John, you were there at the game. So, yep. um, want to mention everybody, Tomas Kanechi makes his debut, created three chances, played 61 minutes in this match. We've also, of course, talked about the missed PKs from Foster. Um, but give us your thoughts on this one. Okay. So first of all, on the time change, they moved it up to noon from 2 PM, which I think was a really smart move. It, it was a hot day in Portland on Sunday. Everybody knows that. And starting at noon, it was still relatively cool. I think it was in the low 70s. We all know about the solar loading, you know, that happens on the turf field when the sun shines. It gets about 20 degrees, maybe 30 degrees hotter on the field than it is ambient air temperature. And, uh, and there were hydration breaks uh, in this USL game at the 30th and uh, like the 70th minute roughly, I think, mm-hmm. which were necessary and appropriate. Um, the things that I keyed on or that I, I was watching sitting in the North end. Uh, I was really interested in seeing Roy Miller and build Tuloma. We've already talked about them. They didn't cover themselves in glory, so we don't need to rehash that. Um, I wanted to watch Abobasi because he got the start. Uh, he actually, I think played really well. He was connecting well with the midfield, put some strong shots on target, but most importantly, we've got the new signing Thomas Konechny. Um, this little Argentine, uh, somebody I was texting with, uh, in one of my group chats, uh, said, Oh, I thought that was Marco Farfan's little brother. <laughs> he, he, he looks young. He, he's not a large man. Um, but I tell you what, he is skilled. And, and I have to say that it was fun to watch him play. He was beating Phoenix Rising's midfield, uh, all day long. Like, seriously, smoking two, three, four players at a time. Unfortunately, that was primarily lateral moves. Uh, he, he would beat a player, pick his head up, look for a pass, didn't see one, beat a player, pick his head up, look for a pass, beat a player. You, you sense the pattern. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of through balls on for him. It looked like he he wanted more movement out of the forward line, um, or at least from the other attacking midfielders to try and connect. And, and I think he was, although he didn't appear frustrated, that wasn't his body language at all. Um, from watching, it, it seemed like he needed somebody to connect with. And, and so um, from my perspective, 
the potential to see him with first team players like Blanco, Valeri, and Armenteros, even Chara, um, who are very quick with their movement and the interchange in the midfield and in the attacking midfield, I think is really potentially positive. Um, obviously, he's adjusting to a lot of things, right? He he's fresh from Argentina. Um, I'm sure that he's he's adjusting to life and everything uh, here in Portland. Um, but to see him get an hour of playing time and then look really crisp on the ball, uh, you know, and, and beat players with such regularity was very encouraging for me. I, I think he he definitely has a spot in the first team. Um, if not this year as a substitute role, then certainly next year. I mean, I think he's got the tools to be there. Um, the other thing that was really interesting was the, the lone T2 goal that we saw. Um, you mentioned that Foster Langsdorf had two PKs in this game. Yep. And he missed them both. I shouldn't say missed. Both goals or we're both PKs saved. were saved. Yeah. Uh, he went to the same side on both goals. Uh down into the shooter's left, the keeper's right. They're both hard shots um, and really well saved by the Phoenix goalkeeper. Not impossible to save, but they were, you know, they were potential goals and they they were well saved. The first one was a rebound that came off just to the right-hand side and and Marco Farfan uh, was there to put away his first goal in the USL. Or is it his first goal in the USL or the first goal in his USL this year? Can you... Do you know it's that? definitely the first goal this year. Um, I don't have any stats off the top of my head. Like I don't have anything open. If, if it's I, think, I think I think it's his first goal total. I mean, he's a left back, right? He's not yeah, scoring yeah, yeah. a ton. So what was really interesting about this was he started, um, instead of standing on the top of the 18-yard box like everybody else, he was on the far left side of the 18, and he was probably five or six yards back from, from the 18-yard line. And he started a run-up when Foster started his run-up to take the actual PK. So he was kind of in cadence with Foster running up to the ball. And so he, when Foster took the shot, was in full stride when the shot was taken. And he came from a wide angle, and even though he was at a wide angle, because he was at full stride already, he was able to beat everybody else who was standing at the top of the 18 to that rebound and put it away. I think he, I'm pretty sure he went five-hole on the keeper on that one too. So it was a really nice finish. Um, but it was a really smart, really intelligent move um, to start five yards back from the 18 so that he had the momentum and speed going in to be able to break those lines and make sure that he was the fastest to any rebounds that appear uh, on that first PK from Foster. Yeah. Um, confirmed that was defender Marco Farfan's first professional goal ever. Um, so that is definitely congrats to him. Um and, and yeah, that's it's really funny because I think about that and I'm like, it makes so much sense that he would do that or or literally anybody would would be doing that and make um, right. It, it seems so smart, like so smart. It's like, why doesn't everybody do that or somebody yeah. not not always do that? So it, it's great. I'm glad he got that. Did that yeah. and got the goal. Yeah. 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 It really makes me wonder if that's something that he, he picked up from youth training. I mean, I, I don't want, obviously we don't see a ton of PKs at the MLS level. And I think we're all primarily Timbers watchers before T2 watchers, but um, you know, that's not something you see a ton, I think in, in world football. And it was really interesting thing to pick out. It was very obvious in the stadium to see. And then on the highlights um, you can actually see if you go back and watch the USL highlights that are on YouTube, 
in the first shot of the, of the PK, there's kind of a wide angle and you can see just the top, kind of the top third of Marco's body as Langsdorf running up to take the PK and you can see Marco take off and, and start, start his run. And uh, it, I don't know. I just thought it was really smart. Hopefully it's something that the team is teaching and, and is going to be apri- applied more broadly. But if it's something that he picked up at, at the youth level or something that he just thought up on his own, more credit to him. I mean, obviously, I'm a huge Marco Farfan uh, guy. I, I, I'm sure you've seen me. Big say, him say, on Twitter. say it. You're a Farfan fan. I'm a Farfan fan. That's my Don't say fan. you're a Farfan guy. You're a Farfan fan. I am a Farfan fan. And we fan. need fans of Farfan made out for Farfan fans to fan themselves at the game. Especially without Vitas in the lineup anymore. I mean, I think we're all going to miss Vitas, but I think we all recognize the pot- potential that, that Marco has. You know, uh, He's played in the MLS All-Star homegrown game now, and yep. he's a uh, you know, U-20 international. He's probably going to be U-23 international. He's, he's a quality left back. Yeah, the, the nice thing is you see Marco Farfan, Foster Langsdorf, um, Two true homegrown players, you know, Foster from Vancouver, Washington, Marco from Portland, Oregon. I think he's from uh, Gresham, technically, but yeah. You know, just give me this. Give me this one thing. He's from he's Oregon. from Portland. He's from Oregon. He's, he's from, from Oregon. Oregon. Portland, Oregon. The greater Portland area. Yeah, yeah. Either way, it's two actual homegrown players, and and they're both showing that I think they can do a job in MLS for this team. Mm-hmm. Um, the Academy was, you know, started two or more years later than it should have, you know, but five years in, we are starting to see the progress of that. And, you know, we know there are more players back that can do uh, the same job or better than these two guys um, as they continue to develop some good Academy depth. So yeah. it's one of those things like what's, it's good. Great to see, you know, not to toot our own horn, but you know, look what happens when you play the kids, right? <laughs> right. Play those kids. Best podcast name ever. Um, Pretty much. And it's, it's funny because when Merritt Paulson tweets out, you know, oh, that play the kids mantra, it's like he's not really referring to us. We like, to, think us. <laughs> we like to think so, but no, he's not. You know, none, none of them are because they don't. We're not. We're not that mainstream. But uh, but you know, it just kind of gives you that idea. It's like, yeah, it's a great podcast name. Now, I don't know, man. I, I want the TGIPTK <laughs> hashtag to go international. Oh, just wait. I'm sure it will. Um, so anyway, so that's Phoenix Rising. Thank you, John. Um, so like we said, T2's lone goal came from Farfan, his first professional goal in the 72nd minute. Um, unfortunately, T2 were down two goals already. Cortez getting a brace in the 8th and scoring again in the 82nd minute. Fernandez in the 63rd. Asante you know, rounding it all out in the 89th minute. Um, kind of a matter of a top two team in the West. Uh, they had been struggling, but they get their expected win. Um, they're going to be happy that they have bounced back, uh, getting three road points after suffering a defeat to the Monarchs. So, you know, it kind of helps Phoenix secure second place. Um, I predicted on the USL show it would be a 4-2 loss. I was really close. Um, had that 97th minute PK that Langsdorf put away not been saved. Um, would have been a perfect prediction. Not that that helps me feel better about the game at all. <laughs> Just you know, kind of expecting it. But anyway, that's uh, that's T2. Um, Josh, uh, give us a rundown on fourth division since the season's over. Yeah. And unfortunately, you missed 
last week because of computer trouble. So yeah. glad all that's fixed. Yeah, I just wanted to note for is is uh, Phoenix Rising where Dragaba plays? Is that right? Yes, he is the player uh, player coach owner type yeah. deal. Player owner, I think. He's back in coach owner. Owner. He was back in training just in time for them to build up to the playoffs. So yep. um, they're only getting stronger. I just thought I'd mention that I saw that. Um, <laughs> the PDL Northwest Division. Uh, the Portland Timbers under 23s who play in Salem started the year off with a really great win over Kitsap Pumas. Uh, I believe we hearken all the way back to spring. It was a five nil win in the first round of the U S open cup. Um, they were the PDL champions from the year before and Kitsap was the NPSL champions from 2017 as well. Uh, and though that same team finished dead last in 2018 in the Northwest Division with uh, three wins and only 11 points on the season, um, it was a dramatic change from the year before uh, where they finished top of the division and looked like nobody could beat them. Um, Lane United, a team that's in Springfield, Eugene area, finished in third place, did not make the playoffs. Sounders FC under 23s finished second place and did get into the playoffs. I stopped watching the conference at that point. So I have no idea. How well As you should. At, yep. I don't care. Um, <laughs> uh, just to take kind of a closer look. Uh, for the Timbers in our 23s, if there was, a, you know, a couple players that we want to keep our eye on uh, for next year, they may be there, they may not. We talk about uh, Benji Michelle from, he plays for the University of Portland Pilots. He'll be going into his junior year at the University of Port uh, Portland. He had five goals in 333 minutes. And um, Abdu Haji had two goals in 505 minutes and Blake Bodily, who was a, uh, you know, a T2 player last year had only two goals in two games played. And, uh, I, th I don't know if the team was ravaged by injuries, um, or, you know, what could have caused such a dramatic change. Um, they seem to have a lot of the same players, only two or three, Players either graduated from their respective colleges or were drafted into USL. Um, but, you know, under, under 23s, uh, dramatic change and uh, a big letdown from the year before. Um, as I said, one of the players to keep an eye on was Benji Mattel from the University of Portland Pilots. And the Pilots start their season off this uh, August 12th at home with an exhibition game against Corbin um, and their regular season starts uh, against Sacramento State in Portland at, at Merlot on Friday, August 24th at 530. Uh, if you're interested in watching the Portland Pilots. Nice. Um, let's see. NPSL soccer, my sort of my baby, really. Um, again, just a, a really dramatic difference from the year before. That Pumas finished first place last year. They finished third place this year and decided that they not only were upset that they didn't make the playoffs, but they no longer want to play soccer. 
uh, citing not enough fans through the turnstile as the reason to shutter up the organization. I'm going to take my ball and go home. They took their ball and went home. They didn't want to play anymore. (laughs) You know, Coach Liviu Bird, who I think was associated with the Sounders Youth Academy for a while, was the head coach there at Kitsap. He had some pretty sour words to say uh, in an interview, um, which you you may see written up for protagonist soccer here in the near future. Um, FCMP, uh, the local uh, Portland team, um, finished in second place and went to the playoffs. Um, they Their first round in the playoffs was away to Spokane. Now, Spokane finished in first place in the Northwest Conference. They had seven wins, five draws, zero losses, and they were basically invincible throughout the entire season. Um, they opened up their playoffs against FCMP and lost one to two at home. Wow. An unbeaten season, and they lost in the first round of the playoffs. That's rough. Yeah. And so, um, you know, football club Malouse Portland um, were ranked 32nd out of, I think, something like 190 teams, something <laughs> Some, some ridiculous amount of clubs that are in the total NPSL. Yeah. Uh, 32nd ranked uh, FCMP, then went on to play El Farolito down in the Bay Area, picked up a win down there. Uh, they shut him out 2-0 two to, two to with goals by uh, Luis Galliano and uh, Reed McKenna, who contributed not only this year but last year. Um and then they had a really interesting match where they went down to Orange County FC, who, who uh, I think they might have some sort of organizational relationship to the, to the USL side. Um, it, and Fred Braun, former Timber, had uh, two goals. Uh, Luis Galliano had a goal. Reed McKenna had a goal. Alex White had a goal. And Christian Tyron had a goal in a 6 4 shootout win in the quarterfinals. And that sent them all the way into the semifinals of the NPSL. Whoa. And, and these are, this is PDXFC's main rival here in Portland. It's exactly. this deep run. They, yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. In the, in the year that I most wanted, you know, I was trying to bring as much attention as I could into onto PDXFC was the year their rival who doesn't really seek attention. They're not social media hounds. They don't post anything. They don't sell stickers and badges and, and shirts and t-shirts. They just show up and they win. Um, this is the third year in a row that this organization has finished second place in their respective conference. That that first year, Kevin covered them as uh, Spartans FC of Portland. Yep. And then last year they finished um, second. Second, and they lost in the first round to Kitsap. And this year they finished second, and they won in the first round um, away to Spokane. And they went all the way out to New Jersey to play FC Motown. In the semifinals of the of the MPSL championships, and the- wait a second, FC Motown is in New Jersey and not Detroit. Yeah, yep. It's a disappointing um, what? <laughs> uh, and they traveled out to New Jersey, and they were uh, tied up at ones. Uh, they went into extra time, uh, no goals. They went into uh, the second period of extra time. They went into added on time. They were in the 120th plus 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 minute, and Motown put in a goal and sent Portland packing, and uh, and that was that. That's a hell of a run for local soccer. 
It is. And yeah. there's some really interesting names uh, associated with uh, um, that Portland team. Um, you might remember uh, Fred Braun, uh, Freddie Braun, uh, former Timber. He had six goals on the season and was the uh, came in second to uh, a player up in Spokane for, for Golden Boot for the conference. Um, Steven Evans, former Timber, and Nick Evans, his younger brother. Now, Nick and Steven actually played for PDXFC last year, but they uh, were upset with maybe not getting enough time so they decided to jump ship. They went over to the other team in town, and they helped them win a, you know, win a slot in the U.S. Open Cup. So we'll see uh, FCMP in the Open Cup uh, first round next year, and I believe they're going to play against Calgary, who won the PDL um, on the, you know, the Timbers under twenty-three side of the Division Four in Oregon soccer. And uh, well, Calgary was a Canadian team, right? Yeah, but they're still in that, you know, we share some. But no, no, if they're in Canada, they're not part of the U.S. Open Cup. Plus that that far, the Open Cup for 2019, they wouldn't have any of that stuff drawn yet. Well, tip. So last year in the first round, it was your regional. It was your your regional opponent that was at the same division as you. So you could almost. You can almost guarantee that they last year Kitsap and and um, and the Timbers under twenty threes knew the day that they won their their respective levels that they were going to. Well, oh, okay. Well, that's fair. I did not. I didn't know that. So you learned. Yeah, something I don't know. Day. You know why? I, I can't remember who came in second. <laughs> oh, Sounders under twenty threes, right? So, <laughs> enjoy that. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm wrong, and they don't get drawn a U.S. Open Cup spot at all. Um, last but not least, and 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 really dead last, um, PDXFC finished last in their in their respective conference. Um, they only scored one goal in the first five matches, uh, four of which were actually in Portland. Uh, the slow start came after they had a seven a seven to two preseason win at the under 20 uh, the timbers tournament down in, in salem and they started against kitsap right so their first home match was against kitsap and this was kitsap four days after they had traveled to salem and lost five nil and had a had their uh, trinidad and tobago international sent off on our direct red card and um you know i just thought the timing of it i thought everything was in pdxfc's favor and they just they just never got it going this year. They had, uh, I think there was a kind of a three match moment where you thought maybe because the season's so short and, and you win really turned the season around at this level. Oh yeah. They transferred in, um, Rio aside, he came over after the first five matches from FCMP because he wasn't getting any time. Picked I, I was at one of those hot matches and I, I very much remember a delightful Cruyff turn by the goalkeeper from PDXFC that, Gave me a lot of hope for uh, yeah. the, their potential this year. Yeah, they so they, they have a handful of players. They you know uh, that in as much as Kitsap had said, their lights out. They're not going to come back. Uh, I've had the um, the ownership of PDXFC say they they are guaranteeing that there will be they will be in operation uh, for twenty nineteen in the spring. So there's a few players to keep an eye on. Um, I would say keep your eye on Rio Asai. He came in, he made a big, he made some changes. He's t- 
texted me that he is definitely interested in staying with the team. And if the team is to own operations, I think he's one to watch. Sweet. Excellent. Well, uh, appreciate all that update. Um, and, and real quick, I got to say, yeah, as, yeah. as an independent supporter, I highly recommend going out to a PDX FC game. They're super fun. Um, it's an, an experience unlike even T2, you know, the proximity of the game. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be playing at Concordia again next year, but the games up there are great. The crowd's great. Um, it feels like a, a local family environment. Obviously, you know, the total attendance is lower, but it's a fantastic experience. Yeah. And uh, bring, a, bring a friend. <laughs> bring three friends. Bring three friends. Free voodoo donuts. <laughs> Uh, all right, so so that's the fourth division. Um, up next for T2, um, as I mentioned earlier, we've got an away match to Swope Park Rangers. That's this Saturday, August 11th, um, and then five straight at home. So we'll be taking on San Antonio Wednesday the 15th, Sounders 2 come down Sunday the 19th, um, and then Orange County on Wednesday the 22nd. Uh, that'd be the rest. That's that's all the games we got for August. Um, so we'll have some time off. St. Louis comes to town Saturday, September first. Tulsa comes to town Sunday, September 9th. Um, so hopefully uh, we can get some wins in those home games. Um, I'll be in Kansas City for the Timbers away match, and then I'll also be in a conference right after that. Uh, so I'm literally going from Kansas City to Dallas, Texas, um, the week of the S2 and Orange County games. Um, so I'm sure I, I will have plenty of free time to record something, but I don't know how much time I'll have to watch them. But hopefully I'll, I'll be in a different time zone too. I don't know, but we'll see. Hopefully I can watch them. Um, some winnable games. I mean, Swope Park Rangers are struggling. Um, it's a very vital three points that we need against the team that right now is directly competing against us uh, for playoff um, a playoff spot. You know, S2 should be winnable. Uh, they're still god awful garbage team this season, so um, they have not showered. Wait, is, is Seattle still terrible? Yes, S two <laughs> still still very bad. Um, Tulsa's they've improved, but I think it's still winnable when they come to town. St. Louis, you know, that's a team that's fighting for a playoff spot. Um, could be towards the end, we might be fighting for the last playoff spot with them. Um, our USL show ELO rankings have it. Um, Portland versus St. Louis right now prediction uh, for fighting for that last final playoff spot. So again, a very vital three points if we can do well against them. Um, San Antonio and Orange County, when they come to down, those are going to be very good teams on hot streaks that are probably going to be tough to, uh, tough to win. So, um, you know, if we can pick up some of the low hanging fruit, particularly S2 and um, hopefully Swope Park Rangers, away you know i don't know how that's gonna work out um be some vital points we can pick up there uh, obviously it'll be good good for the team good for the playoff hopes um so that would be it for t2 going forward uh you can find me online twitter uh i am at k mccamish pdx i am also at ptk podcast which you should know if you're listening to the podcast um you can get a hold of me via the people that run the usl show twitter at the usl show um, you can even reach out to me via BGN. They can get a hold of me that way. You can also find me on Stumptown Footy. Sometimes I'm behind at Stumptown Footy for tweeting T2 matches, although due to many, many, many personal conflicts with work and everything else, I have been unable to do that. 
uh, for almost two months. So <laughs> sorry for anybody missing the Stumptown Footy tweets. We are looking for someone to back me up on T2 coverage. Oh, um, I miss those tweets. If you're interested in that, you know, reach out to our managing editor for Stumptown Footy. Um, other places, I, again, I, I want to stress BGN. Um, we have a new BGN written section. So if you go to BGN.fm and click on our news, um, we are now creating written content there. Um, of which I am being a, a part of, so I'll be, you know, editing some of that. Um, you know, beautiful game network, sport of the world, voice of the people. Um, lots of good content. Uh, please check it out. USL show, of course, was I'm part of. Um, Rising One is a great podcast. Of course, they cover Phoenix Rising, who kicked the crap out of us. Um, but despite that, go listen to them anyway because they're nice guys. <laughs> um, and then uh, thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Don't forget to get your custom scarves for your group or your team at roughneckscarves.com. And, of course, as always, thanks to the Beautiful Game Network, where you can find us, Play the Kids, at playthekids.com or on bgn.fm. Um, don't forget to, to subscribe using links to iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Um, Josh, where can people find you online and also uh, protagonist soccer? Tell us about that. Uh, currently, you can still find me at Joshua R. Duder in the Twitterverse. Uh, I will be contributing to protagonist soccer. You can check out their website, protagonistsoccer.com. There's not much to look at today. My dog is eager for me to give him some attention. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Who's who's your co-host tonight? Shout shout your little buddy out. Uh, his name is Gus. Gus the dog. Gustavo oh. for those that like full names. Nice work, Gustavo. Gustavo, yeah, he likes to chip in. Um, ProtagonistSoccer.com. We'll be covering the NPSL and the UPSL um, starting the week of August 13th. The website goes live. There is a button on the current webpage. You can sign up for updates. Um, you can hit them up on Twitter. Their Twitter handle um, at Protagonist Soccer is currently uh, interacting with uh, tweets. So um, I'll be writing for them covering the NPSL Northwest. Um, there is uh, another fellow named Eric. He'll be covering the UPSL, a uh, new league coming to the Northwest starting next year. There are three teams currently scheduled to begin uh, in, in the fall. I am not quite sure if they will start the fall of 2018 or if they will start in the spring of 2019. They're in Spokane, Centralia, and Seattle. Um, and those are the only three teams that I am aware of at the moment. So we will see if there's any movement on that front. Sweet. Sounds good. Um, and then, John, uh, where can people find you? If they wanted to talk to you. Or you can stay muted because you don't want to talk to anybody. That's okay. Um, uh, no, no, no. I hit the mute <laughs> button like three times, I swear. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm John McGuire. I weirdly obsess about referees on a website called ptfcollective.com uh, or PTFC Collective, if you like that translation. Uh I think uh, you don't want to follow me on Twitter because it's mostly leftist politics at FWJMCG. Uh, but I do tweet a little bit about the Portland Timbers and how much I love them and how much I love the referees uh, that we get. I also want to give a quick shout out uh, to 
Red Smoke Radio. I know this is a competing podcast. Sorry, Kev. But well, not not competing. They're they're friends. Well, they probably have not mentioned us even once. Um, so I I'm happy would to imagine them. not. Yeah, I, f- I have a feeling Caitlin and Tyler don't really pay that much attention to T two. They're mostly nope. uh, Woso fans. But it is a fantastic women's soccer podcast. I would highly recommend it. It I believe is the only current going Thorns podcast, and and the more listeners they get, the better it is for everybody much like play the kids. So tell your friends, uh, actually send them links to the podcast, both play the kids and red smoke radio and, you know, keep growing the game. Yeah. Uh, red smoke radio and play the kids can both be found on stumptownfooty.com. The only two independent podcasts on the website right now. Hmm. Just so everyone knows that the only two independent podcasts on the website. And, you know, I just wanted to say that, Kevin, I know time is waning. John McGee, <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Yes. Uh, I don't know if this is a one-off or if we're going to have you on again. Hey, man, I'm glad to come back anytime. I had a great time chatting with you guys. Fantastic. Hopefully, hopefully I, I we'll really hear from you again. I think we will. Um, yeah, so that would be it from uh, myself, Josh, and John. That's Play the Kids. Thank you very much. Thanks for having oh, us, Kevin.